We are a month away from the biggest conservative conference and concert in the country. America Fest is December 16th through 19th in Phoenix, Arizona. Join over 10,000 patriotic families who are on fire for taking back this country and hear from names like James O'Keefe, Charlie Kirk, Candace Owens, Tucker Carlson, Dennis Prager, Ali Stuckey, and more. Go to amfest.com with code RealAlexClark for a discount on general admission. That's amfest.com with code RealAlexClark. children in the United States are being raised by lesbian, gay, bisexual, or transgender parents. We're told that all that matters when it comes to a child's happiness and well-being is that a child is raised in a loving home. We've all heard that, right? That gender has nothing to do with it. Now, what I find to be interesting is that we say this about kids raised by LGBTQ parents and yet know and acknowledge the disadvantages that children who grow up in a single parent home have. Growing up with a single parent has a bigger impact on children than race or poverty. If you talk about those statistics, does that mean that you're saying a single parent couldn't love a child? Does it mean a child doesn't love their mom or dad who raised them by themselves? No, absolutely not. But we know that only growing up with one parent statistically results in less than ideal outcomes compared to a two-parent household. So let me ask you something. If we know this is the case, why does culture, the media, and then the experts keep insisting that kids born to two parents of the same sex won't grow up with similar disadvantages? You know Katie Faust, the founder of Them Before Us, a child's rights activist who speaks out about things like sperm and egg donating, surrogacy, and gay adoption. She told us that every day she talks to children who grow up and now feel immense grief over the way they were conceived and that they don't know both of their biological parents, but I've never personally talked to one of those kids who felt that way myself until today. My guest is 28, was raised in California by two lesbian moms. He was born into the LGBTQ lifestyle in the heart of LA and became a Christian as a teenager. Now he's blowing up on TikTok as a revivalist, sharing his testimony and story on the streets of California. He just recently left his six-figure job to become a full-time missionary in the state of California. And he is on a mission to save a state that so many have given up on. He launched a movement called California California will be saved, which hosts worship gatherings outdoors and proclaims the gospel. I'm going to ask him to share his story, find out what his moms think of what he's doing now, and see if all that really matters is for a kid to be raised in a loving home or if kids have a right to know their biological parents. Please welcome Ross Johnston to The Spillover. Where in L.A. did you grow up? So I grew up in a small town called Duarte, California. So nobody knows where that's at. So it's about 10, 15 minutes east of downtown Los Angeles. So that's the city I grew up in. Okay. And you had two moms growing up. Mm-hmm. So tell me your family dynamic. How did your moms meet? Yeah. Well, I think what was really interesting is when you think of my family dynamic, a lot of people ask the question, well, how was it? Right. But you got to understand it was normal for me. It's all I knew. And I remember my mom told me this story probably when I was around 14 or 15 years old because, you know, obviously I wasn't going to understand it when I was younger. And the lady that she was with when I was born, they actually just met through some mutual friends. And my mom had always desired to have a child. 
And so she started to notice, okay, I'm getting older here. My body has a certain age limit for having children. And she said, you know what? I'm going to have a child. And so she decided to go get artificially inseminated. And then that's how I was born. Okay. So what does that process look like? Artificial insemination? Like, is she picking through a catalog of different guys or what? Yeah. So back then it was definitely different than it is today. It, it is? was much more low key. Okay. Right. So I remember asking my mom, like, mom, tell me the story. Like, how did I get here to the earth? Right. And I remember she said, okay, I had this desire to have a child. I looked in a phone book. That's where people looked back then. I saw there was a, a lab. She walks into the lab, tells them she wants to have a child. They give her a list of about 10, 15 guys, height, eye color, age. That's about it. And then she chose one. And so did she ever get to meet this guy? Never. N know his name? I don't. Nope. And so you don't know anything? I know literally zero. I think she told me he's like, like a certain height, eye color, and maybe hair color. And that's literally it. What about like the state? Like, it, was he from California or living there? I believe so, but I'm not even 100% sure. I believe he actually was near or at least in California. I don't know the specific city. And my mom just went with him because she saw those characteristics. And she was like, okay, like this is an average build, average guy. Nothing can really go wrong here, so to speak. And so she chose that guy. Do they tell people, uh, you know, this, what uh, a donor's personality is like or any other traits that he loves sports or like anything? To my knowledge, literally zero. So when you were growing up, tell me about the first time that you really understood like, okay, I don't have a dad and what that felt like. Well, you know, like I said earlier, for me, it was just normal. So I really didn't have a perspective or any kind of like what it's supposed to feel like or look like. But I do remember this growing up when I'd have baseball practice or when I was in high school or middle school, I always felt this sense like, okay, I know I have a family. I know I have my mom and my mom has been a phenomenal mom to me. Like she's loved me to death. She'll do anything for me, but I still knew there was this missing piece. And so what I like to call it is as I got older, I was like, oh my gosh, it was like, I had like an orphan mentality though. We had a roof over our head. We had food. We had all the necessities of life because I didn't have a father to teach me, to grow me, to walk with me, to do life with me. I always felt this loneliness deep down inside. And so that's something that I started recognizing as I started getting older. And so were your moms married or just like partners? Yeah. So once again, it's such an interesting dynamic because when people don't know Jesus, they make decisions that typically aren't always the best. And so my mom and her partner, they were never officially married. And even growing up, I never even saw them in the same room. They slept in separate rooms. Wait, now why, why did they make that decision if they were together? You know, there's so many dynamics that I still don't fully know, right? And what I think part of it was, is obviously my mom was working the nine to five. She needed somebody to stay home. And I think there was just challenges in the relationship that made that difficult or made that hard. But here's what I like to say. If you don't walk in the, in the design of God, you can't walk in the blessing of God. And so when people are walking in relationships or family dynamics that don't honor God, typically things happen where they don't know how to respond and you end up in circumstances like this. What were you told about Christianity in your house? Growing up, we weren't anti-Christian. We just never spoke about Jesus. Like I had never been to a church service. Uh, I never heard a worship song, never heard a sermon. When we talk about zero grid for God, like that was me, like Nothing. literally zero. And so I remember like 15 years old, a friend invites me to church and that's what really shifted my whole life. So when you were growing up, I mean, how involved in the LGBTQ community was your family? Like, were you going to pride parades and this kind of stuff that we see now? Yeah, I would honestly even love to hear what, what you think about this. You know, when people ask that question, 
When I look at the LGBTQ community 20 years ago versus today, I just see major differences, right? Like growing up, my mom wasn't flying flags in the house. You know, we weren't like, hey, what's your gender? Affirm my gender. Like that wasn't even a conversation. It was more so, hey, this is the lifestyle I live. Just let me do it. Leave me alone. Like that's it, right? But now when I look at the LGBTQ community, it's like we have to affirm a gender. We have to have flags up. We have to have certain conversations. And I'm just like, what happened in these 10 to 20 years to take it where it was just somebody's kind of personal choice to now, I absolutely have to affirm every single thing they do. So for me, I just see these massive differences from back then till today. Oh yeah. I mean, I can absolutely see what you're talking about. How did your mom explain to you like what being gay was or, or, or being a lesbian was? I honestly only remember really having, I mean, I would think my mom had multiple convos, but I only really remember one where she kind of sat me down and just explained to me, hey, this is how you were born. This is the type of lifestyle I live in regards to being a lesbian. And this is what it means. But there wasn't really like a, a dialogue or a conversation going on. And growing up, and I honestly think some of this is just the sovereignty of God, like protecting my heart and mind. There wasn't really a whole ton of like, I, I was thinking about it or there was a process. It was just like, this is my mom. This is how she lives. This is how I was born. And that's all I knew. Was there any loneliness or sadness around not knowing who your biological dad was? Yeah. I mean, I think when you're young, you don't really understand how to process those thoughts or process those emotions, or you don't even know that that's like a possibility because that's not your reality. But once again, as I started to get older and I started to see my friends, I noticed some things. One, I was spending time at my friend's house more than I was at my own house. Why, why do you think that is? And I truly believe it's because when you get around a family dynamic that's healthy, we were all designed for that and we all long for that. And if you don't have that at home, well, guess what? You're going to go to people and places to find it. And so I think growing up for me, when I got around healthy families, I was like so attached because I was like, oh my gosh, one, I'm designed to have this. And two, I desire to have it. What was going on with their family that is just so mundane or normal, but like really pulled on your heart? Honestly, I would say just like, having like normal conversation and food at the table. Mm. Like I know that's there's nothing fancy about that, but there's something when you get around a table and you just have real conversation, whether it's laughing or it's serious or it's tears or, hey, we need to chat because you did something wrong or whatever the case may be. I just remember hanging out with my friends and their moms would just be cooking me dinner. I'm at the table. We're doing homework. We're playing. We're running in the neighborhood. But there was that camaraderie and that family unit that I was so longing for deep down inside. What was your life looking like in those early teen years, like up until your friend first invited you to church? It's so funny because it's like a polar opposite. Like if you look at me now, you see social media, you would never think this, but I was like the shyest kid on the block. Shy? Shy. Did not talk. Like, I mean, I talked, but it wasn't like I wasn't social. I wasn't super engaging in conversation. I was just kind of like I played sports, good kid, got good grades, but I was just kind of to myself quiet, didn't really say much, didn't have a ton of confidence. And then all of a sudden, and I'm sure we're going to dive more into this, you know, I get invited to church, I encounter the Lord. And that just, that just shifted so much in my life. I mean, were you a pretty, a pretty good kid, like staying out of trouble? Or were you dabbling in things like partying, hookup culture, all that kind of stuff? Believe it or not, I was scared of everything. Why do like, you think I that is? I never had a sip of alcohol. We're you were better than a, me. <laughs> I don't remember going to a party. I was too, I didn't even know how to talk to women. Like that, that wasn't even like, I had no clue. So I was so shy and intimidated. So growing up, it was like, almost like I was really quiet and just really to myself. And it was, yeah, it's such an interesting dynamic. So 
a friend invites you to go to church. Uh, who invited you and what did they tell you about church and like why they wanted you to go? Honestly, it was my mom and her grandma. You got to love the grandmas. They'll get you every time. But they just invited me. They didn't even say anything. They were just like, hey, we're going to church Sunday morning. So your mom was going to go. Well, they invited me. And so I talked to my mom. I said, hey, so-and-so invited me to church. Can I go? And at the time, I was still young. I was like 15. I, I think I barely had my permit. So I couldn't drive on my own. So guess who had to drive me to church? Your my mom. mom. So my mom would literally drive me to church, go back home, come pick me up, take me back home. So that's how it started. Do you remember what the sermon was that day? No clue. How did you feel being in that service? It's so funny you asked me, how did I feel? Because I remember my friend, I think she asked me, she said, hey, like, did you like the service? What did you think? And I didn't really know how to respond, but I knew that I felt something that I had never felt before. In the, for the, for like the past, my past life, I never felt what I felt in that room. I was sitting in the back row, just a typical Sunday morning service, had no clue what was going on, but I felt something happening in my heart. And so when my friend asked me, hey, how did you like it? I said, I don't know. I don't know what to say, but I felt good. <laughs> I felt peace. I felt comfort. I felt something happening. So then what happened? Like, did you continue to go or what? I remember when, hopefully the church that anybody goes to, they preach the gospel. So I remember there was an invitation to receive Jesus. I didn't do anything in that moment. I didn't really know what was happening. Keep in mind, this is the first time in my entire life that I'd ever been to church and exposed to anything related to Jesus. So I remember going home that night and just kind of having this dialogue with God in my heart saying, God, okay, the pastor said, I need to give you my life. I have no clue what that means, but here's something I do want to let you know, Lord. I need to know you. I don't want to just be a good person who reads a good book and goes to a good church. God, if you're real, I want to know you and experience you. And sure enough, night after night in my room, I would sense the presence of God. And that's what really stirred my heart. Were you reading the word or just like in prayer or what was it looking like feeling the presence of God every day? It was honestly just in my room. I had no grid. I didn't know how to pray. Yeah. I didn't know how to read. I don't even think I had a Bible yet. Maybe I just have one. I can't even remember. So I'm just in my room, just kind of like sitting there. Just I think maybe I got on my knees and I'm just like, hey, God, like I want to know you. And I would just sense his presence day in and day out. And then the next time I went to church, I remember just responding to the altar call when they said, hey, does anybody want to give your life to Jesus? And I just made that decision and just said, Jesus, here's my life. Are you aware that glyphosate isn't just a food problem? It's a feminine product problem as well. When you use non-organic cotton feminine products, you are putting one of the most genetically modified crops we have, which is cotton, and covered in Roundup directly on one of the most absorbent areas of your body. An Argentinian study from 2016 found glyphosate in tampons. This is why I get all of my feminine products, pads, tampons from Garnu. Garnu pads and tampons are 100% organic cotton, no dyes, no fragrance, no chlorine. Traditional pads that most women use are full of pesticides and then treated with harsh chlorine bleach and fragrances, which is not good for your lady parts. Your vagina is the most absorbent part of your body, which means it absorbs all those chemicals that you put near it. Starting Black Friday, Garnu is trying to make the Garnu Girls' Christmas periods a whole lot merrier. So if you haven't gotten your organic tampons or pads from Garnu yet, this is the month to try. While supplies last, Go to Garnu.com, use code Alex for 15% off. That's G-A-R-N-U-U.com with code Alex for 15% off or find the code in the show notes. So then you graduate from high school. You're deciding on where to go to college. Tell me about where you're at in your relationship with God at that point. So I get saved 15, 16 years old. Next year, graduate high school. I was pursuing baseball at the time. 
So I wanted to obviously play and I got this opportunity to play at a small little school in San Diego. So I go to college in San Diego. I'm there for four years. Nothing traumatic really happens, praise God. But I was just trying to figure out who am I? Like, what is my life? What is my destiny? What's the calling on my life? And so college was really one of those transitional periods where I went from just getting saved to now I have to figure out what does it mean to actually be a Christian and what does my life look like? And so what did you figure out? I figured out that it's so important to get plugged in to community. You're designed, you're not designed to do the Christian walk alone. And were you trying to do it alone while you're in college? Well, college is such an interesting place, right? Like most people, like I didn't really have a ton of money. So I'm like, couldn't really go anywhere. It's kind of fine. It's hard to find a local church if you're not from that city or not that region. Then you get, you kind of meet friends at school who kind of become your friends, but some are graduating, some transferring. So it's just such a, a space where like somebody can be your best friend for one year. And then the next year you don't even see them. So then were you kind of like drifting a little bit in your relationship at that point? Cause you were so, you were like a baby Christian anyway. Yeah, I was definitely a baby Christian and I had no clue what discipleship meant. I had no clue what it meant to grow in the word and in prayer. So I was just trying to figure it out on my own, which I don't recommend. <laughs> this is why it's so valuable to have people. So it was less of a floating and more just trying to figure out, okay, how do I actually grow in hearing your voice, God? How do I grow in the things of God? How do I grow in your spirit? How do I, how do I become a Christian? Like I know I'm a Christian now and I kind of know what that means, but I need to know what is my life actually supposed to look like? But something happened that caused you to get angry with God mm -hmm. in those years there right after college. What happened? I like to say it like this. If you're not walking in deep intimacy with God, it's really easy to allow things that happen in your life to turn your heart to an apathetic mode. And as soon as apathy comes over your heart, usually it turns to bitterness, turns to coldness, and then most people walk away from God. So for me, I was in college, I graduated, I didn't wanna go back home, but I had to pay this thing called rent. And I was like, okay, I have to pay rent, so I have to be a man, I have to work. I didn't know where to get a job. I mean, I just graduated, I had a business degree. My friend comes to me, he says, hey, do you wanna open a gym with me? I said. I don't, I had no business experience. I'm 21 years old. I'm like, let's do this. But the reason why I bring that up is as soon as we started working at the gym, we weren't making a whole ton of money. We didn't have a whole ton of time. I was working 15, 16 hours a day and I just got bitter. I just got mad because my life didn't look like what I wanted it to look like. And so what did I do? I blamed God. And as soon as you blame God, once again, your heart turns into bitterness, apathy, coldness. And I just said, you know what, God, I'm going to focus on building this business, making money, and maybe I'll come back to you someday. So that's what happened. So how did it go? I mean, uh, did life get better when you totally rejected God in your anger or, or did you have a change of heart? I mean, life was, it, it got bad in the sense of, I was just like, I woke up three years later after starting that business and my life was in the exact same place. Mm. The business really didn't grow. I mean, I had, built, I had some friendships and things of that nature, but nothing really shifted. And so I remember I got to this place where what I, when I first started, I was so excited. And now here I am three years later, I'm mad at God. I hate my life because I'm doing the same thing and nothing's changing. And I'm just like, something has to change. And I remember right in that moment, even though I wasn't walking with God, I got this opportunity to work for another business that was remote and double the pay. You want to know what my first thought was? Yes. My first thought was, I'm about to live my life. I'm going to do what I want, how I want, when I want. I'm going to travel. And then something called March 2020 happens. And I remember in that moment, though I had not been walking with God for you know three, four years, I knew, this is going to sound cheesy, but I promise you I'm learning that some of the most cheesy things are some of the most powerful things. I knew in March 2020, when I started seeing all the craziness happening in America, that that is the exact moment that God had created me for right then. What do you mean by that? 
if you're serving at a church, please keep serving at a church. It is so valuable that we're plugged into a local church. But for me, I grew up in a low-income area, no father. I had this, for lack of a better term, rowdiness in me. And sometimes in the church building, it's so structured, which we need structure, we need foundation. But some people God has created with the gift to not only be in the church, but to reform society. And so for me, in 2020, when I saw what was happening all across the streets, I mean, keep in mind, we like to forget easily what was happening. It was crazy. It was crazy. There was literally buildings being burned down across numerous cities across America. Well, and for you in L.A., they had uh, uh, bulldo- bulldozers coming and filling skate parks with sand and, you know, churches. It was illegal to host church and things like that. So you're having this radicalization going on in your heart of like, whoa, OK, God, wait a minute. I don't like anything that's going on right now in culture. I need to get back and plugged in in my relationship with you but now I'm being told I can't even go to church if I want to. So how did you rectify all of that going on? That's exactly what stirred me. Even though I wasn't walking with God, there was still that pull in me. The Holy Spirit was still pulling on me. And I remember when I saw everything happening, I was like, I have to do something. You're somebody that doesn't like rules, aren't you? Because as soon as you were told, like, you're not allowed to go to church, you're like, now, wait a minute. That wasn't my choice. So now I'm mad. So now I want to (laughs) go. I like rules, but I also like being rowdy. And I'm like, listen, if you're going to tell me that I can't, I mean, keep in mind, the governor in California was saying extreme things. Yeah. Like you can't worship, you can't sing, you can't go to church. And I just remember thinking like, okay, I'm not even walking with God, but there's no way that's going to fly. And so it kind of stirred my heart in like a holy anger. And then I go, well, instead of me just being angry, why don't I actually become a solution? And so I remember thinking to myself, I had a moment with God. Many of us have had this moment. I'm crying. I'm on the floor. And I'm saying, God, whatever you want to do with my life, here I am. But keep in mind, in California, there was not a whole lot going on. Yeah, I was going to say. So what did you feel like God was telling you to do? Because you're working remote. You You just started this new six figure job. And yet you feel like you're being called into mission work? Yeah. Well, I remember I was like kind of sitting there. I'm like, okay, everything in my life is going well, but everything in the world is blowing up and going crazy. But then I also felt that pull, but then I also got that job. So I remember asking God, I said, God, I know that when you call people, before you ever call them, you want to give them their people. We have to have a tribe. So I told the Lord, I said, Lord, you give me my people. I'll do whatever you want. So I started going to any revival night worship service that was open in California, which there wasn't a ton at the moment. And I just started going because I said, you know what? This is where I'm going to find my people in places like this. And sure enough, I found those people. So as you're going to this, what is your mom? I mean, amidst the pandemic, what is your lesbian mom thinking about? Okay, my son is like going to these illegal church services. He's getting fired up for Jesus. How is she taking this change in you? Well, I think my mom had probably seen that the last three, four years of my life, that my life was not exactly looking like what it looked like when I first got saved. Just because when you're not walking with God, your language changes, your demeanor changes, your actions change. So then all of a sudden, my mom's probably sitting there going, okay, 2020 comes. My son, all of a sudden, I haven't heard him talk about Jesus for a few years. Now he's telling me he wants to go to the streets. He wants to preach the gospel. Like, what is going on? But here's the amazing thing about my mom. Because when we think of the LGBTQ community and the church, We think of a long history of tension, which there's a lot of tension there. But with my mom, it's this interesting dynamic where she loves me to such a place that she always, even to this day, respects and honors what I do. She's even one of my financial donors on a monthly basis. Really? Isn't that crazy? Okay. So you grow up with parents in the LGBTQ lifestyle. And then you grow up, you publicly disavow it. 
How did she take it then when you obviously had to have a sit down conversation with her and say, mom, I'm a Christian. I don't agree with this lifestyle, even though I still love you. Yeah. Well, when I first got saved, I didn't really know like how to share my faith. I just knew like, that's right. That's wrong. You know? So I remember just having conversations with my mom, just saying, mom, like, I love you, but like, I believe that Jesus is real and what he said is true and that the Bible is true. And so we never really had any arguments. It was just kind of like, okay, Ross, like you believe that. This is the lifestyle I live, and that's just kind of how it is. Now, obviously, as I matured in my walk with God, I've had more real conversations just sharing the reality of who Jesus is. So the point is, I'm believing for my mom to have an encounter with Jesus where it goes from a head knowledge to a heart revelation. That's what we all need. Does she just listen to you, or does she ask you kind of follow-up questions when you try to share the gospel with her? I love my mom because she'll literally know when I'm going to go preach somewhere and she'll text me and she'll go, go get them. And I'm like, <laughs> I'm like this, this breaks every single box, right? It, it, but don't get me wrong. There's definitely people, a part of the LGBTQ community who do not respect Christians and even worse, talk bad about them. But when it comes to my personal relationship with my mom, and I think this is why relationship is so key to what God is doing right now, is because when you actually build relationship with people, they don't just see you as someone who has a set of beliefs or ideologies. They see you as a person. And when they see you as a person, then they're actually willing to have a conversation. Okay, so one thing I want to back up on, because mm -hmm. you keep saying my mom, but you're not saying my mom's. So does that mean she's not with anymore the woman that she was with whenever you were born? And then what is your relationship like now with that woman that she was dating when you were born? I promise I'm not trying to be that guy that's like every situation is so unique, but it really is. So my mom was with this lady, right, from one from when I was one years old to literally the week I got saved, they split. Isn't that crazy? Oh, literally wow. that week. But here's the deal. Like I said, growing up, I don't remember ever them. I don't remember them ever sleeping in the same room, not being really affectionate. So it didn't feel like a relationship. Exactly. But after they split. Did you call that other woman mom? Never. Oh. And I think, because I get that question a lot. And one, it's not natural. It's not the design of God. And even before I knew God, I still didn't call her mom. So for me, I, when people say like, well, why don't you call her mom? I go, well, it's not, it's not the design. It's not how God created man or woman. So how in the world can I operate like that unless I operate and believe a lie? You believe that LGBTQ people should be treated equally. But that doesn't mean that they should have equal roles. What does that mean? Yes, I'm so glad. See, language is so key. And I felt the Holy Spirit speak this to me when I talk about the LGBTQ community and not even LGBTQ, even when we think about what's happening between men and women and how the roles are being shifted, everybody has the same rights as a human being, mm -hmm. right? Like we all are made in the image of God. God loves us all. Like, yes, we make decisions, we sin, we make mistakes. And if you don't know Jesus, like get to know Jesus, but we have way different roles right? A man's role is way different than a woman's role. And so what I think we're seeing in our society right now is we're trying to take these terms and each side wants to create their own definition, right? Yep. But for me and for us as Christians, it's like, we have to share what actually is the definition, not what you think, not what you like, not what you want it to be, but what's the actual truth? But what about people that say things like, well, the Bible's, you know, stance on homosexuality is outdated. Oh, man. I mean, there's so many places you can go with this, but I just, I simply say, listen, the Bible is the word of God. It's true. But if you were to be honest with yourself right now, deep down in your heart, take away the emotion, take away social media, take away everything. Every person deep down inside knows that there is a real role in design on marriage, on gender, on whatever, and whatever category you want to put. So what I tell people is I go, listen, because if people don't know God, 
How in the world can we expect them to operate in his ways, right? So I like to have conversation that's built on relationship. And then once relationship is built, then I, I can actually share life experience and truth. Because think about it like this. You ever seen those people who are holding those signs on the streets and they're like, you're going to hell. Yeah. If someone came up to me and said that, I would never talk to that person for the rest of my life. But if somebody was to actually ask me about my life, care about me, build relationship, then I'd actually be willing to listen to them. We're told that the only thing that matters is if a kid grows up in a loving house. It doesn't matter what gender the parents are as long as they have parents who love them. As a kid who lived through this with two moms, are these experts lying? It's definitely not the truth. Because here's the deal. This is such a, I can't believe this is like a controversial topic, but men can do things that women can't. And women can do things that men can't. So when you talk about the design of a family, there's certain things that having a father, you just can't get from only having a mother and vice versa. And so when it comes to raising a child, is love important? Absolutely. But I also need a father who's going to tell me when I'm wrong that I'm wrong. Sometimes I need to be, I need the belt. <laughs> Sometimes I need provision. Sometimes I need protection. Sometimes or someone so to help you take risks and be brave. Like, you know, when a kid is climbing a tree, it's going to be a mother's instinct biologically to say, Ooh, be careful. You need to come down. And it's going to be the father who biologically is going to go like, you're doing great. Go higher. You yeah. know what I mean? A kid needs that balance. And what I think is really interesting. And I said this at the beginning of the podcast, uh, in the intro, but why is it as a culture, we understand this when it comes to single parents, right? So we have no problem as a culture saying things like a kid can obviously grow up with a loving single dad or a loving single mom, totally. but that kid is going to be at a disadvantage in society. They're going to be, you know, more likely to, you know, have a, uh, enter poverty. They're going to be more likely to have teen pregnancy or crime or all these different things. We can say that and acknowledge that it is better for a kid to grow up with two parents. And yet we say something totally different when it comes to kids growing up with two moms or two dads or trans parents or whatever. I'm like, why is it that we can acknowledge it in this instance? We know that this is true, but we dance around it with LGBTQ parents. Yeah. So two things that come to mind. Number one, almost every major statistic, crime, abortion, whatever you want to put there, is rooted in fatherlessness, right? Not having a father. But number two, obviously we can't bank everything on life experience. But when I think of my own experience, I had an amazing loving mom. Yeah. She still loves me to this day. So how in the world did I still operate like an orphan? Why was my mind still, like, still felt lonely and felt like I didn't have a destiny and a purpose? Why is that? Because I wasn't in a family unit that was walking in the design of God. There's an actual design. I know that's a crazy, crazy, you know, buzzword right there, but there's an actual design. It's not just what you think it is, what you want it to be. There is certain things that God designed in a certain way. Why? Not to control us, not to manipulate us, but because he knows what's best. He knows what's best for us. But sometimes as humans, we think we're right. We think we know what's best when the reality is we need to tap in and know the creator, God, who created us so that we can actually walk the way he designed for us to walk. Where are you at now emotionally when it comes to not knowing who your father is? Like now becoming a Christian, you obviously know the father, mm -hmm. but you don't know your earthly father. And where are you at on that? Well, I like to say it like this. When I got saved, I never had an earthly father. So our heavenly father, my heavenly father, literally fathered me. Like he literally was my father, is my father, but he fathered me. He taught me how to be a man. He taught me what does it look like to one day raise children. He taught me what does it mean to be a believer. 
So for me, where I'm at right now is the Lord has completely healed my heart, which I'm so grateful for. But you got to keep in mind, that was a process. That took some time. And that's why I think it's so valuable to have conversations like this, because there's many people who maybe have had a similar situation or maybe a way different situation, but are dealing with a similar struggle. And it's so valuable that we hear from people who have overcome it because those who overcome are typically those who have authority in that space. So I just think it's so powerful how you can literally go from having an orphan spirit, never having a father, meet your heavenly father, and then he fathers you and trains you and teaches you to be exactly who he created you to be. Are you ready for the best news ever? Mimi Skincare Now has a fragrance-free microderm cleanser. It gently exfoliates and cleanses, promoting a smoother complexion with the power of peptides. But wait, it gets even better. Mimi's new hyaluronic acid hydration serum is free of seed oils, vegetable oil, and PEGs. It is formulated without alcohol, gluten, GMO oil, parabens, phthalates, sulfates, talc, barley, spelt rye, and wheat. If you are an oily skin girly, Mimi Skincare also now has their Charcoal Glow Cleanser, which deep cleanses and detoxifies and eliminates excess oil and impurities. Pair that with their brand new Vitamin C Moisturizer. It helps with oiliness. It gives a matte finish. It really reminds me exactly of Makeup Primer absolutely perfect under foundation. Nimi Skincare is conservative and Christian-owned. They promote faith, family, freedom, and femininity, and these aren't the only new products either. Find more at NimiSkincare.com with code Alex Clark for 10% off. That's NimiSkincare.com with code Alex Clark for 10% off, or find the link in the description. How does it impact growing up without a dad? the way that you see yourself as a dad one day? I think that's a question that I have part of the answer. And I think a big role of it, or a big part of it's gonna be when I actually have children. Life experience. Yeah, life experience. But for me, I do know there's some things that like I didn't have growing up, right? Like I never had a father who was in the backyard throwing the baseball with me, right? I never had a father who taught me, hey, this is how you honor a woman. I never had a father teach me, hey, this is how you fix the car. Like I just, there's just certain things that I didn't have. So for me, when I have children one day, my desire is to do those things and give my child, obviously, things that I never had. But here's the difference. It comes from a place of knowing the Heavenly Father, right? It's not just my own wisdom or my own thoughts. It's like, God, you've taught me how to be a father because you're the best one. And now I get to do that with my children in the future. Okay, I have a random question that just popped in my head. Let's do it. You talk about how your mom obviously is gay, but she is seeing how far left the LGBTQ community has gone now and everything going on now. And it sounds to me like she kind of thinks it's radical. So does that impact how she votes and things? Like, is she kind of like everything that's going on now, Ross, this is crazy even to me. Yeah. I mean, the way I see it is like my mom is older, so she's not really plugged in on social media not really plugged in with TV. Like when I talk to her about headline stuff, she's like, what, like, what is that? You know? Okay, so she's almost like totally naive to like how crazy it's gotten. Mm-hmm. And this is why, and the reason why I think this is a really great question is because it's so easy to point out darkness, right? And we need to do that. Like we need to stand against these demonic bills that are attacking our children. We need to stand for all, everything that's happening with abortion. Like we need to stand for all that. But here's the question that I keep hearing God drop in my heart. Who is going to be the solution? Who is actually like, we need to talk about it. We need to call it out. But who's actually doing something about it? Mm -hmm. Why is this important? Because so many times, especially in the last few years, what have we seen? We've seen one side here, the other side here, and they're talking, they're yelling, whatever the case may be. 
very few have actually bridged the gap and come into this place of what I like to call the place of tension and actually sit down and have conversation. But okay, so you are making a good point, but I think to a lot of us, we're like, dude, we can't get to a place where we can have conversation because of that point of tension. Like I'm assuming that your mom has friends in that community that must be around whenever you go home and visit and things. So how do they take what you're saying, what you're preaching about the things that you're sharing on social media? How do they take it? How do you have a conversation with them? Because before I ever share a belief or an ideology with them, I know who they are. So let me give you an example. I went home a few months ago, right? Some of my mom's friends, I mean, this is just, this blows my mind. But some of my mom's friends, when I, when I went home, they're like, I've been watching all your videos on Facebook and Instagram. Like they're, they're full out in the LGBTQ community, like full out. But full is this out. because they're, okay, so there's a difference between like a leftist, which I think a lot of modern people in that community are leftist, and then a classical liberal. Like an old school gay person is so different than like a mm -hmm. modern gay person or a trans person now. So like, is that the difference of why they can consume your content and they're like more open-minded with it? Because liberals are more open-minded they believe in things like free speech. Well, let me share this. So, so I meet those friends, right? Who are basically like, they love it. They, lo they love the preaching. One of them even said this. He's like, man, if I wasn't an atheist, I sure would be a Christian. And I'm like, what, I'm like, what does that even mean? You yeah, know? so what did you say to that? But I didn't see him in person. They told one of the friends and the friend told me. But then there was a few other people at the table who didn't really know who I was, who were my mom's friends in the LGBTQ community. And so they're hearing this. One of them sitting next to me. And I remember I just looked at her and we're just having a conversation. She asked me what I do. I said, oh, I just travel America and share Jesus. And as soon as I said that, <laughs> I could tell there was like, uh, like, wait, how, what? Like, you're cool. Like, you're nice. Like, you're, you know, it was like this disconnect. And that's why I keep talking about this. I sound like I know I'm like beating a dead horse, but that's why relationship is so key. Because even though that lady right next to me. Most of the times when she hears Jesus or Christian or whatever or conservative, immediately there's this disconnect, get away, I don't want anything. So when she's when you felt that resistance, immediately she probably stiffened up and was like, oh, great, what does this mean? Mm -hmm. What did you say? I, I remember in that moment, because I could tell, you can tell when people start getting like stiff or they start like that disconnect starts to happen. And I was just like, yeah, I just share Jesus with people and he's so good. Just tell me a little bit about what do you do? And as soon as you do that, when you build that relationship, because many people, they expect Christians to headlock them into a prayer. They expect me like, hey, you're going to headlock me into your belief system. Listen, I can't force anybody to do anything, but here's what I can do. I can host the presence of Jesus in me and through me so that every person who meets me has an encounter with Jesus through me. Does that so make let sense? Me, yeah. So let me tell you what I picked up on from what you just said. You didn't preach to that woman. You had a conversation because yes, you told her what you did. You were honest. You said, I'm a Christian. I share Jesus. However, you immediately then pivoted the conversation. Tell me about you. And so right there, you're building rapport. You're building relationships so that she feels comfortable then to like you would with a friend be like, okay, so what do, what do you mean by sharing Jesus? Because you didn't jump into, I share Jesus. And this is why you need God in your life. And you, did, you didn't do that. You, you know what I mean? I feel like that like allows people to kind of chill out and lay their armor down. And it's funny because I do the same thing about when it comes to telling people that I'm conservative. So whenever I am uh, like in a setting where like friends invite me to a party or, you know, to a, you know, a birthday dinner where I don't know people at the dinner and everybody's like, so what do you do for a living? What do you do? I like briefly mention it. And then I do exactly what you just said that you did. And I'm like, tell me about you because I'm going to let them ask me questions then. And then if they do and they're receptive to it, then I'm going to dive into like, well, why are you conservative? What does this mean? Does that mean you're anti-abortion? All this. Then I'm like, yeah. So, uh, you know, and then I go into it. Well, because if we're being honest, right, Alex, we know this. 
deep down in every person, every person is Imago Dei, made in the image of God. What does that mean? Why does that matter? Every person, whether they like it or not, whether they agree with it or not, whether they want it or not, deep down inside, they want to know, God, are you real? Now, there's obviously people on so many different spectrums with that, but why is that important? Because whether I have a conversation about Jesus with somebody and they're super open or they get super stiff and they want to push away, they're curious. And so as soon as you build relationship, what that's really doing is that's actually building trust for them to be vulnerable with you to say, hey, I have this question about God. I have this question about Jesus or this happened in my life. What would you say to that? Because so many times when I have those conversations and I build relationship, sometimes I don't, I, I share what I do, but I don't actually get to share Jesus until once they start opening up to me about their life and things they've gone through. And then I get to share with them, well, here's the solution. And that is what I'm trying to get to. So many times it is so easy once again to just say, this is what I believe. This is who I am. This is what I believe. This is who I am. But I go, wait a minute. What happens when once we get past that, we actually say, who are you? What is your life experience? How did you get here today? Tell me about your life. That opens people up to be vulnerable because they trust you. And then it allows the Holy Spirit to speak through you to actually minister the heart of God to them. But what about the people that refuse to speak to you because you're a Christian or because you're conservative? So let me tell you something that was really heartbreaking to happen. And I felt horrible about this as a podcast host. So I invited somebody to do an episode, Mm -hmm. one of my guests. And nothing about the episode got into anything political or whatever. And I guess they have a family member who's in the LGBTQ community. And so just them coming on my podcast, even though nothing in our episode had to do with politics or anything, it was like a very, very emotional, sweet episode about something else. Because they came on my podcast and, you know, these are my beliefs and they know I'm conservative. That family member said, I'm not speaking to you anymore. You're not welcome to, you know, family dinners. You're not welcome to holiday get togethers because you did Alex's podcast because you went on the spillover. And so that person was like, Alex, I am so sorry, but I can't share our episode now. It's caused so much strife in my family. So like for people like that, I mean, there are people that are family members or friends that just refuse now to talk to them at all because of their beliefs. So then how do you get them to even have that conversation. Totally. That's such a great point. And now obviously there's outliers, right? Like we, at the end of the day, can't control people and how they're going to respond. But here's the deal. Even with people like that, this is how I like to say every person is one encounter away from their whole life being shifted. And here's the thing. Many people, especially if you call yourself a Christian, We might be the only Jesus that anybody ever sees for their entire life. I I think of that person you just brought about right now. You think that person is going to a Bible, spirit-filled church? Probably not. You think that person is reading the word? Probably not. You think that person listens to worship music? Probably not. But here's the thing. They know you and they see your life. Even if they say, I don't want to talk to you, get away from me, don't come around. You know what they're doing behind closed doors? They're watching your life. How do you respond? What's your marriage look like? How do your children operate? Mm. How do you spend your finances? I mean, the list goes on and on. So here's what I say to people. If they're willing to have a conversation, awesome. Amen. Let's do it. And if they're not, carry yourself in such a manner that no matter what they think, no matter what they can say, they look at your life and go, that person knows God. 
All right. So how did you go from making six figures to down on my knees? God, whatever you want to do with me in the middle of the pandemic, uh, I'm willing to do it. And then you decide, all right, I'm going to drop this, pursue full time ministry and just street preach. And I don't know how I'm going to pay my rent, but like, God, let's do it. Like, explain this entire thought process to me. I'll do my best because I'm still (laughs) trying to explain this sometimes, you know, but I remember. So I got that job. Right. And then all of a sudden I come back to the Lord. I'm like, Lord, you got to give me my people. I meet these amazing friends of mine. I went to this revival service. I walked in, the guy singing on the stage. The Lord goes, you need to connect with him. I connect with him. We both figure out that we have this burning desire in California. Who it's, was it, Sean? It's not, it wasn't Sean. It was actually my friend. His name is Joel Mott. And he's the guy okay. that I lead the ministry with now. Okay. But this is why Sean's important because we just started seeing Sean and Jay and Let Us Worship and what they were doing. And it gave us this permission. We're like, oh my gosh, these guys are going to the streets. Thousands of people are showing up, worshiping, salvation, healing. Why can't we do this? You know? So I remember I was talking to Joel. I'm like, bro, California's crazy. We got to do something here. And he goes, what do we do? I'm like, let's do what the Bible says. That's a good idea. So we go, let's go to the streets. Let's worship. Let's preach the gospel and see what happens. But here's the deal. Right before that happened, I told the Lord, there's no way I can continue to work this job in street preach and minister full time. Well, yeah, because, you know, I'm sitting here thinking not in California prices. (laughs) Another ball game. I mean, I would be, <laughs> I I think I would be, it would be very tough for me to listen to God if God was calling me to quit my job and do ministry. I'd be like, sure, um, maybe in Alabama, <laughs> I, not in California. Like I would be so freaked out about, about bills. Like I would be so freaked out about just paying to live in that state. Yeah. You want to say you have faith? This is when this is when it the rubber meets the road. It's I'm like, like I'm listening to you. And I'm like I feel like scared for you. Well, here's the thing. Praise God that we have this thing called the Holy Spirit, right? And the Holy Spirit lives in us, and so we don't see like normal people. <laughs> we see not just in the natural, but we see in the spiritual. Because if you only see in the natural, it doesn't make sense. Gas is six seven dollars a gallon. Yeah. Uh, you know, rents twenty five hundred dollars a month for a single bedroom apartment. I mean, the list goes on and on, right? But I remember in that moment. I wasn't even, I wasn't even looking at the natural. I just knew, okay, God, when darkness rises like this, and when the devil who's already defeated tries to do what he's doing, this is a moment where you anoint men and women all across the earth to stand up. And I knew in that moment that I was a part of that. And so what happens is I like to say it like this, Alex, if you don't understand the storyline of God, you'll never understand the storyline of your life. And in that moment, it's like for a split second, I caught the storyline of God. And I said, oh my gosh, my personal story is a part of his story. And that's what shifted everything and allowed me to operate in faith to make that decision. Okay. But then like, I just want to know realistically. Then, yes. So what did this Joel guy say? You can move in with me. <laughs> did you sell your car, get a bike? Like I need to understand all of this because I could not quit my job and just be like, all right, God pay my bills. Like Totally. So I did some few, I did a few really practical things. So here's the thing. I love the presence of God. I love the prophetic, but I'm practical. I'm yeah. like, listen, we can sit here all day. We can prophesy. We can preach. We can do all the things, but I got to pay that rent. Right. I got a car bill. I got the phone bill. Right. So what I did is I knew that I was going to resign from my job, but I waited a few months because I was like, I need to get some things in order. So I put up a missionary link so I can start raising like monthly support. Number two, out of nowhere, this family who only met me one time said, Hey, we felt the Lord tell us that you should come live with us. And guess where it was at? <gasps> San Juan Capistrano. Now, if you don't no, know that city, wait, I it's was like just you're- te- Wait, I was just telling 
you before we started that that's my favorite city in Orange County. Exactly. And so I was like, I was like, God, I'm not missing this one. A free room in San Juan Capistrano <laughs> by the beach. I'm not missing that. So I moved in with them. And then because of that job, it was, it had a lot to do with social media. I learned how to grow social media. So I told the Lord, I said, Lord, when I do something, I put my head down. I focus like I need your green light on this because if there's no green light on this, like it's going to burn me out. I felt the Lord tell me for one year, do as much as you can on social media. First eight, nine months, not a whole ton of growth. Just a little bit because if you start posting more, you get some growth. And okay. And you're posting what? Your testimony? Literally, you know, worship moments, altar calls, parts of my testimony here and there. Really simple stuff. And then you decide, maybe I should get a mic and like go out to outdoor malls, like go to the Grove and just start talking about, I had two lesbian moms and now I love Jesus. Like, because that's, that's a whole nother level of like, yeah, I'm going to share my testimony on social media. I'm going to like post on TikTok, but then to go in public and start like yelling my testimony, that that's another scary step. Well, here's the deal. So let's, let's put this together. Let's tie this together. Right. So I come back to the Lord. I meet Joel. As soon as I meet Joel, I feel this pulling in my heart. Like I got to resign for my job. We're like, what the heck do we do? We literally showed up at Huntington Beach, one of the most infamous beaches, right? We weren't trying to start a ministry. They were like, who's going to preach the gospel? I was like, I guess me. I just like raised my hand. I had never preached. I didn't know. And so we show up to Huntington Beach. All of a sudden, four or 500 people show up. We have little children weeping, getting saved at the altar. People walking on the boardwalk. Literally, I remember talking to this guy. I can tell he wasn't with us. I said, what is going on? He's, the, he's up there on the altar. He goes, listen, man, I was walking with my family on the beach. I'm drug addicted. I'm alcohol addicted. My wife and I are struggling in our marriage. What do I do? He gets right. He gets saved with Jesus, stands up, looks at his wife face to face and says sorry and repents for every single thing he had done wrong. When you see stuff like this, Alex, you can't wake up and go back to normal life. So I'm filling this pool to resign for my job. I just meet Joel. Then this happens. I'm like, and then I get the text to move to San Juan Capistrano. I'm like, okay, like I can't miss this. Like God is, is divinely making this happen, right? And so once we did that first event in Huntington Beach and I resigned from my job, I was like, there's no stopping. We have to go all in. And so we literally started traveling to every major city in California, Hollywood, Los Angeles, San Francisco, San Diego, you name it, worshiping, preaching the gospel and baptizing people. And we saw this happen over and over, which has led me here today. You love your family. Well, some of us. And while they're staying at your house over the holidays, you want to make sure that the food and drink that you're offering them is not only delicious, but it's good for them. Full of vitamins and minerals that our bodies need and that are non-irritating for gut health. Let me introduce you to Squeeze Juice, a way healthier juice alternative to your friends and family and especially the kids in your life. Squeeze Juice is premium 100% juice, non-GMO, not from concentrate, no water added, fresh press and HPP pasteurized and full of all the vitamins and minerals that you assume you get from fruit juice, except you never do. It's usually full of high fructose corn syrup instead. Squeeze juice is the closest thing to squeezing your own fruit juice. Their pomegranate and mandarins are grown by California family farmers, and it's truly a treat-a-bottle product. There are five flavors of juice for the whole family. Pomegranate, mandarin, which is my favorite, and three functional juices that offer specific benefits for your family's needs. Their focus juice, for example, is a purple reddish colored juice that provides natural energy from a plant called guarana. It has a strawberry taste and one 11 ounce bottle is equal to one and a half cups of coffee. Squeeze juice is shipped on cold, non-toxic frozen ice straight to your door. So make sure that you'll be home within two days of ordering. Get 25% off with promo code Alex at checkout. Go to shop.squeezejuice.com with code Alex for 25% off. That's shop.squeezejuice.com with code Alex for 25% off. 
which city uh, that you've shared your toast testimony did you think blew the minds blew minds the most? Gosh, like just the reaction from the crowd or like people on the street, like. I think Hollywood. I was going to guess. Yeah. So here's the deal. We did this little pop-up thing in Hollywood. When I say pop-up, I'm talking like 10, 15 people. And we were just right there on the Walk of Fame. And I'm just sharing my testimony. And like literally hundreds of people are just walking by. Nothing really major happened. But check this out. Six, seven weeks ago, we decided, this is crazy. I still can't believe this happened. I was actually joking, but God wasn't joking. And I was like, guys, what if we shut down Hollywood Boulevard, like the main strip, shut it down, bring a full stage and do what we do. And there's like, we're like, there's no way. Long story short, we put a permit into the city. They call us back, say you can do it. We shut down Hollywood Boulevard. When we showed up, close to 2,000 Christians showed up. It was insane. I share my testimony. I share the gospel. Over 100 people right there on the street came up and surrendered their lives to Jesus. It was crazy. Now, what do you guys do in those moments? Because you're not in a, in a church or whatever to like get these people plugged in and, 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 you know, follow up with them, get them Bibles, make sure like the person that said, I'm drug addicted, I want to change my life. Like what kind of resources or, or connections are you making with these people to kind of continue and help them to, to grow their walk with God after that? So here's what's really cool. When we started in HB, people were coming up to me, Alex, they're like, how long have you been a pastor? I said, 30 minutes. <laughs> This is new. I don't know what we're doing, right? Ross, what church are you a part of? I was like, I don't know what to tell you. This is just a bunch of the body of Christ coming together. So here we are two years later. We do the Hollywood event, right? We do something called a discipleship tent. Because when we first started in HB and people were asking me those questions, we're like, okay, we got to give this thing a name. So we called it California Will Be Saved, believing wherever California goes, the world goes. So now what we do is since people know about the ministry, pastors come to our gatherings People get saved after preaching the gospel. We have a discipleship tent. They go to the discipleship tent. They meet a local pastor. We give them a Bible. We get the information and plug them into a local church. So they're actually doing this together. I mean, it's it's interesting to me that you're starting like a revival, essentially, in the state of California, because I think most Christians and conservatives especially see California as a totally lost cause. You don't. You live there. You see the the destruction. You see the heartbreak, the crime, the godlessness. And yet you think that there is about to be a revival. Like what indication do you have that that's true? Well, let me say this first. So many times when people hear about this in California, you know what the reaction is I get or I see? In California? Yeah, good luck. Really? No way. And I'm like, no, it's really happening here. But here's what really makes me hopeful is when I look at history, the last just over a hundred years, did you know there's been three massive moves of God in California alone? Azusa Street Revival, Amy Simple McPherson, the Jesus People Movement, so California is what I like to call a land of revival. It is ripe. There is a DNA of revival there. But not only that, when God does something once, especially when it comes to saving people and healing people, oh, he's not finished. He's not done. And then as soon as we started going to the streets and all of a sudden we didn't expect anything. And you're telling me that drug addicts, drug addicts and five-year-old children, and literally we had a literal demon, a literal demon worshiper, a Satanist get saved. Now ex tell me about that. Mm -hmm. When you see that, well, here's what happened. We're in the gathering. The gathering had just started. It was like five, 10 minutes in. I'm on the side of the stage because I just like to be there to make sure I can see everything. I see this guy going a full sprint towards one of our team members. I'm like, oh my gosh, what is going on? He goes to our team member. He literally gives him a hug. I'm like, okay, maybe this is good. I don't know. And so I talked to my team member after I go, hey, what just happened with that guy? He goes, well, he sprinted to me. He's wearing a shirt that literally has like 666, a satanic symbol on it. 
I shared the gospel with him. He gets saved, and then he jumps into the baptismal right there, gets baptized, then comes into the crowd, lifts his hand, and starts worshiping with us. I was like, this is crazy. Have you had any people, just knowing your testimony, hearing your testimony, have you had any people say, Ross, I'm gay, or I struggle with same-sex attraction, but I want to become a Christian. How how do I reconcile both of these things? Absolutely. So it's it's two things that I get a lot. Number one, I get a lot of DMs from people saying, I'm a Christian, but I believe it's okay to be gay. And so I think that's the first place we have to start. Because the truth is, and I'm saying this in love, and I'm saying this in sincerity, but it's not the design of God. God designed marriage between a man and a woman. But it's they're going to say, then why did God make me gay? Well, here's the deal. We have to understand that we live in a natural world but there's a spiritual realm around us. And so here's how I like to say it. There's spirits. And if you don't, if you don't have the Holy Spirit, if you don't know God and you're not walking with Jesus intimately, then it's so easy for the spirit of the world, the spirit of the devil to speak to you and you think it's you, but it's not actually you, right? Paul said it like this. He said, we don't fight against flesh and blood. Our issue is not against people. It's the spiritual realm and what we cannot see. So what I tell people when they say that is I go, oh my gosh, that, you know what? I understand what you're saying, but did you know that when you become a Christian, the Bible says you become born again. You actually have new desires, new emotions. So if somebody has a same-sex attraction and they're saying, well, one, I want to get right with God, or I believe this is God's design, I go, well, first off, let's read the Bible. Let's understand what the Word of God says. And then number two, understand that when you come to Jesus, are you ready for this? This revelation has literally shifted so much for me. When you become a Christian, Alex, you don't change. You die. Let me explain what I mean by that. Romans 6 says that when you're baptized, you join Jesus in his death and in his resurrection. Why is this valuable? If you become a Christian and you think you just changed, you can easily change back. But if something's died, you can't go back ever again. So I always tell people, come to the Lord, get born again, let his Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God fill you. He'll give you new emotions, new desires, new thoughts. And from that day forward, you walk in holiness with God. And if you still seem to have same-sex attraction and it still seems to be something you're struggling with, you want to know something beautiful? Get in the secret place with God. Cry out to him. Say, God, I'm having these thoughts. I'm having these desires. I know it's not your will. I know you know what's best. I trust you. Holy Spirit, would you refine me and renew my mind so that I can walk out of this? What do you think parents who have chosen to use a surrogate, who have chosen to do artificial insemination, uh, egg donation, whatever, where, they, where, where their child doesn't know their biological parents. What do you think that those parents should tell their kids? I mean, I'm just remember, like when my mom told me my story, I think every child deserves to at least hear their story, mm -hmm. right? Like if I didn't know how I was born or I was lied to, that's always going to cause more hurt and pain. So I would say, be honest with your child 100%, but I would even take it a step further and go back a little bit before that. If you're desiring to have a child and you decide to have it one of those ways, like, man, I would say, ask God before you do that. Like you, you need to ask the Lord. If you one day get married and you and your wife are, are having trouble conceiving, do you feel like you would pursue or be open to pursuing any of these fertility measures like IVF or anything like that? Or do you feel like you're against it now? It's one of those things where it's like, I believe in the miraculous power of God. So if there is an infertility issue, before I even think about anything else or even have a conversation about anything else, I'm praying, I'm fasting, I'm pleading the blood of Jesus. I'm doing everything, believing God. 
your design is for every single woman to be a mom and for every single woman to bear children. So if her body is not lining up with that. Or his. or <laughs> Yeah, if his body is not lining up with that or her body is not lining up with that, well, that's not your design. And Jesus said, the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I come to give life and life abundantly. So I believe that the miraculous power of God would touch my body, touch her body so that we could have children. What is your hope for your mom? My hope is so simple that she would have a personal encounter and openness in her heart towards Jesus. Cause she hasn't, she, I would say she believes in Jesus. She respects what I do. She respects him, but there hasn't been a personal engagement in her heart. And so I'm believing that just like all of us who call ourselves Christians, we've had that moment where Jesus became so real, where the spirit of God revealed him to us. That's what I'm believing for my mom. You know, I'm thinking about um, people like your biological father who probably didn't think anything about it. It was like, I'm going to get quick extra money. I'm going to donate sperm. I'm going to, you know, donate eggs or whatever to these different types of fertility clinics and how they have all of these people that are walking around out there, or maybe they didn't realize until recently how, like what they did impacted so many children's lives. Yeah. If somebody is listening to this and they've made that decision in their past, like they donated sperm or they donated eggs and they regret it or they feel guilt over it, or now they become a Christian, they're like, I should have never done that. And now I don't, I'll never know who my children are or how to, you know, reach out to them or anything. Like, totally. what would you say to those people? Yeah. I would say there is so much grace for you. You know, the blood of Jesus doesn't just cover some sin. <laughs> it covers all. So when you say, you know what? When you actually have a moment in your heart where you go, oh my gosh, I recognize that that decision or that thing that I did was sin and was not God's design. Well, guess what? All you have to do is simply acknowledge that. Repent, which means we get scared when we hear that word. It just means turn the other way. You turn the other way, you repent, and you say, God, here I am. I come under your blood. Your blood has forgiven me. It's washed me. It's cleansed me. Guess what? Jesus, God, Holy Spirit, they don't see you as Ross or Alex who did X, Y, Z. It says in the Bible that we have the same righteousness that Christ Jesus has, Christ Jesus has now because of his blood. So I would encourage anybody who's feeling shame or guilt or condemnation, that is from the devil. Come to the Lord, be honest, repent, come under his blood and he cleanses you and he never sees you like that ever again. There's grace. How can people, one, financially support California Will Be Saved? And then two, how can they go to one of your revivals in person? Yeah, so the best way is going to be social media. So we have like Venmo, Cash App. There's our website, cawillbesaved.com. But if you go on social media and you type in California Will Be Saved or my name, Ross Johnson, you'll see all of it on there. And you'll even see our events upcoming, all that we're doing. And then you also have YouTube and Instagram. Is it just Ross Johnston? It's Ross Johnston, but two N's at the end because somebody took my original name. So I had, okay. to, add, I had to add an extra N in there, you know? Gotta okay. Keep it real. All the links for everything California Will Be Saved will all be in the description and the show notes. Um, and I want to ask you one special thing before yeah. we wrap here. Do you think that you could pray specifically for my listeners who have broken hearts due to fatherlessness? Yes. Let me say this before we pray. Fatherlessness it's, it can be a process sometimes, but at the same time, I've seen God literally heal hearts in a moment. So as we pray, just believe in faith that if your heart is broken or your heart is lonely, that God can just heal you right there because he did that for me. And guess what? He's going to do it for you. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Jesus, we just thank you for every person watching and listening. 
And Holy Spirit, I just ask right now for any wound of fatherlessness to be healed. And I just declare that the orphan spirit would leave every single mind and every single body. And so, Lord, we thank you that you are not just a good father. You are the perfect father. And so I just ask right now for your embrace, your love, and your grace to consume every person listening or watching. And we just say thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Ross, for coming on The Spillover. So great to be here. An absolutely incredible testimony from Ross. Check him out on Instagram and what he's doing in California because it is truly inspiring. Please leave a five-star review. Subscribe to Real Alex Clark on YouTube. Next week is one of my favorite interviews of 2023. I had the privilege of interviewing the author of my favorite parenting book of all time. Now, depending on how well you know me, you will know who it is. My video team, which is primarily a bunch of young 20-something guys. There are a few girls because I know the girls on Saturday. Hey! But... Most of them are 20 something year old guys. And after the interview, they all told me they were like, oh my gosh, this was one of my absolute favorite shoots to sit in on this year. I cannot wait for you to hear this because it is the greatest countercultural advice that you're going to hear on raising a family today. And I have saved this episode to release now towards the end of the year on purpose because I think it will be so encouraging to take this advice and implement it into positive changes for your family going into the new year. And it touches on something that I have been wanting to cover for months raising kids in a multi-generational house. And really, I didn't think about this until now, but it kind of all ties in with the whole daycare conversation that we've started this year. But it really does go so much deeper than just having extra people in your house. I need you to just trust me. This is an absolutely do not miss episode. Make sure you click subscribe on Apple or Spotify so that it automatically downloads for you so you don't forget. New episodes of The Spillover drop every Thursday at 9 p.m. Pacific, midnight Eastern, wherever you listen to podcasts and you have the option to watch by subscribing to Real Alex Clark on YouTube. You're also going to find a ton of other videos and content from me there too. I'm Alex Clark and this is The Spillover. Love you, mean it. Bye. Bye.